Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, a mediator and collaborative lawyer and founder of the Miller Law Group with offices in Westchester and New York City. I'm on a mission to change how people divorce. And my guest today is Dr. Raymond Griffin, who has been in the addiction and counseling field for over 37 years. He's the founder and director of the Greenwich Center, which focuses on impaired professionals and forensic evaluations for federal and state courts. And he has been part of the collaborative process with myself and several other attorneys and also mediations and divorce cases. He's a frequent CLE lecturer for attorneys and judges and is a producer and host of the radio show on this station, WVOX, Changing Your Life. Dr. Griffin, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Counselor. It's great to be here, Catherine. So I thought that we would spend some time talking today about your expertise of substance abuse and methods of alternative dispute resolution that don't involve courtrooms, Mm -hmm. so collaborative law and mediation. And when you're dealing with someone with a substance issue, when mediation or collaborative law might be appropriate and when it's really not appropriate? Good question to ask. Unfortunately, substance abuse, mental health issues seem to be becoming more and more frequent in divorces, sometimes the catalyst for the divorce, sometimes just the result of it. And when there are children involved and there is a concern about the safety of those children, now that there will be two separate households, is that single parent appropriate, healthy enough to be parenting by him or herself? And that's when I get brought into the process to find out one of three outcomes. Either there is a problem and the person is willing to do something about it, there is a problem and they're in denial, or there really isn't a problem, and maybe it was just some short-term self-medicating during the course of the tension of what brought them to a divorce. You know, I think oftentimes people don't realize there's this preliminary period that could go on for five, eight years before they finally decide they're going to get divorced, and that can be hell for people. Yeah, you know, I think that's really interesting. A, a few weeks ago, I did a show on parental alienation, you know, and the and it's a kind of similar thing where one person might make a an accusation, right, or, or an allegation of something like that, like you have a drinking problem, or you are alienating the children from me, or statements are made, and then there's an evaluation period, right, where somebody, you in this case, right, comes in and says, all right, let's find out more about this problem and see how much of a problem it really is. What I really like about the collaborative process is that most of the time, the allegation of an issue is not a strategy. In litigated divorces, 70% of the time, I find there is not a problem. So that makes me feel that somebody wanted to hand, you know, get a heads up on the custody or access, or they wanted to steer the support payments to their side, and they make these false, al- what turn out to be false allegations. And fortunately, in collaborative mediation, that happens very infrequently. 
Yeah, I think you make an important point about the distinction between these processes. And I think the point that you're making, just to be really clear for the listeners, is that that certain strategic actions and statements are made in certain processes, sometimes, not Mm -hmm. always, obviously, and that that can really lead to a whole hornet's nest of problems in the process, and certainly in the dynamic in in the co-parenting relationship. Yeah, very much so. You know, I see this as that the process that you're really trying to push forward being the best one for couples, because litigation doesn't get anyone anywhere. Walking into the courthouse at White Plains, going through security with people that are there for criminal actions, you feel like a criminal. You feel degraded. It's not an upbeat, let's end this relationship, it hasn't worked out, and let's do what's in the best interest of our children. You walk in and you're ready for battle. Yeah. Rather than just walking into your office at the K building and... (laughs) having a nice surrounding and saying, let's work through this. Yeah. So I'm a big proponent of your process. Thank you. I wonder, in the collaborative process, is it appropriate for people who have addiction issues? It can be. Certainly, the person who has the issue may not be aware of it or may not be accepting that it's as bad as the other party feels it is or that the children feel it is. So I think having somebody like myself come in and evaluate that helps them to maybe break through that denial and to get some help. And if it's significant enough, then my recommendation is to postpone the process for a period of time for the person to get healthier. As you had said before we started the show, which I thought was a great analogy, if somebody has cancer and they need to go through chemo or radiation, would you still move forward with the divorce? Probably not. Probably not. And so what do you actually do, Dr. Griffin, in in the evaluation process? It is a series of face-to-face interviews, getting a full history of the person from birth on, getting to know about their family history, getting to see if there's any addiction in their families, then doing a number of screening instruments that are helpful to determine whether or not on paper and pencil tests, like a psych test would be, to discern further if there's an issue. At the same time, they're going through a series of random drug and urine tests to see if they're on any substances. Sometimes it may include a hair test, which gives us a four-month look back, and that includes four alcohol. And then it's interviewing the other party in the action, getting their view of what's been going on and what the behavior has been like, how the person has been acting. And then I have a a number of collateral sources that I speak to that are given by both parties to further vet out whether or not there really is an issue. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm talking today with Dr. Ray Griffin about substance abuse and divorce, and particularly in collaborative divorce and mediation. Dr. Griffin, how can you tell the difference between a real ongoing problem and and what you were talking about earlier, about a situational problem with self-medicating because of a really challenging relationship or a challenging life situation? Well, it's a good question to ask. I have a case that I just finished now. The 
party that had the issue was or is a litigator <laughs> in New York City. And by going through the history with him, by going through the history with co-workers of his, by speaking with his wife and really pinning her down to when she saw issues starting to come in, it was clear that it was the issues between the two of them that his drinking started to escalate. That prior to the last two years, year and a half, his drinking had been moderate or light. He had a period in college where he drank higher. But I think if you took any college kid and you did an intervention, you'd say, oh, they have a problem. Well, I think there's a high likelihood of yeah, many. Yeah, many. <laughs> uh, and the rehabs would be full. But, you know, I remember friends of mine, they got out of college, they went on to grad school or work, and their drinking became social. It's just what some college kids do. So with him, he didn't meet the criteria for a substance use disorder long term. He met it for a period and I evaluated him over the course of two months so that I could get a good picture of him. And he maintained abstinence that whole time without any apparent difficulty. So my recommendation was that when he has the care and custody of his children, there not be any drinking, that after that visitation period for a year, he be tested to ensure he hasn't drank, and that he enter therapy with someone that not only knows substance abuse, but a psychologist or psychiatrist that could also help him with coping skills to develop healthier methods of dealing with stress in his life. Now, maybe the separation, divorce, two separate households has made that easier because when you don't want to live with someone, you don't want to be married to them. In New York, it seems people are there almost until the day before the papers are signed. That's very difficult living with somebody you don't want to be with, isn't it? It is. And certainly, although it might not be the most adaptive way of handling the situation just to sort of drink it away, you know, to some extent, it dulls the pain, I suppose. Yeah, I'm sure it does. You come home from work and there's somebody that you're home again. Oh, it's you. It's you. Exactly. <laughs> Dr. Griffin, do you find that it makes a difference what the substance is? Yes. Alcohol is certainly prevalent. But as you read in the papers, the next largest area of use is opiates. And we see people that have gotten into trouble because of health issues, skeletal issues that have required pain medication, and that that pain medication use just continued or grew and got out of control for them. And they became addicted to the opiates. And that's a hard in some ways, a harder addiction for the person to deal with because it became so obsessive. And although a drug is a drug, what they've gone through to get that drug is much more rigorous than somebody just going to a bar or a liquor store, getting a bottle of vodka or wine. So trying to find these drugs and where we used to have doctor shopping in New York, the new iStop program from the New York State Department of Health has really drastically reduced that in the state. What we're seeing, unfortunately, especially in the Sound Shore communities, they're going to Connecticut or they're going to New Jersey and they're getting doctors out of the state that 
aren't required to be part of iStop. Tell us a little bit about what iStop is. iStop was a program that was instituted three years ago by the state that requires all physicians or prescribers that are prescribing class controlled substances to go into a software system of the Department of Health, enter that person's name and information and the drugs that were prescribed for them. When they go to the pharmacy to get that script filled, the pharmacist is required to then check, make sure it was prescribed by the doctor and that no one else has prescribed the same or similar medication to them before they're allowed to fill it. We're trying to get this program required by the feds so that it stops the doctor shopping and prevents them going across state lines to get drugs because it really is a big help. Yeah, I imagine that it would be. And so are you saying that you think that the addiction to opiates is, is kind of more difficult to, to resolve? or it, It's more difficult to resolve in some ways because of, in many cases, they still have a real pain. Like the underlying problem. Yeah. Yeah. So that you take them off of that, and sometimes 800 milligrams of Motrin just isn't doing it for them. So how do you alleviate the pain? So it may require going to an analgesic patch, like a fentanyl patch, or it may require going into a pain management specialist that does stims or implants that can help block the nerve site. So it's more difficult that way. And it's just so prevalent. I mean, it's really an epidemic level in our area. This is Catherine Miller. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM and WVOX.com. We're also available as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com and on iTunes. And we're speaking today with Dr. Ray Griffin about the effects of addiction and divorce, particularly in the areas of mediation and collaborative divorce. And Dr. Griffin, we talked a little bit about about the evaluation. How do you give the feedback to the family? Because that seems like it could be kind of touchy at times. It can be. And it's first given to the attorneys in a written report format. They get a forensic evaluation. And that outlines everyone that was spoken to how the conclusions were reached, and then recommendation. Because the goal is to help the person get healthier so that they can be an active, participating parent. Uh, I think many people hide what's going on with them because they're afraid they're never going to see their children again or be denied access. So during the process, I try to make them very comfortable in understanding that is not the goal of collaborative. The goal is to help them co-parent in the best way possible. And to do that, they have to be as healthy as they can to be able to continue that for the life of their children. Do you find that the other spouse is supportive of any intervention that you put into place for the most part? Or is it more kind of like, I knew it, gotcha? Well, I almost have to throw that back to you because there is... You know, and unfortunately, it's the New York law structure. There is a difference, isn't there, of who comes to you versus who goes to one of the big firms in White Plains or New York City. You mean in that they're self-selecting? I believe they are. I think you're seeing more 
and I, that may be inaccurate, but as a casual observer, it seems that way, where in cases I'm involved in in Connecticut, it's much different. In what way? Connecticut requires everyone to go through a court program called family office. And they're in the courthouse, and they are social workers that are trained in the law, and they're assigned to a particular judge. So all parties must meet with them, and that person, somewhat like the referees we have, but that person hears what's going on and makes recommendations. If one of the parties said, well, I don't like that, I'm not going to do that, then he says, okay, let's go. And they all go immediately to the courtroom. They wait 10 minutes, they're in, judge hears what the recommendation was, and most of the time they'll say, well, so ordered. (laughs) (laughs) So the divorces are much faster. They're less antagonistic most of the time, acrimonious. And then they have another part of the system that is called special masters. And these are matrimonial attorneys that have been in the bar for a while that volunteer their time. And there are two of them assigned to every case. And they may meet with you and your attorneys, and they hear about all the financials. And they look at the numbers, and they'll say, well, based on our experience, this is what you can expect. So you're better off settling now and not spending more money on legal fees. So those two processes have helped bring down some of the tension between the couples and help them realize that you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have to be grandparents together. So better learn how to get along now. And, you know, when one party is so angry, how do you get them to control that anger? Not so easy always. No, but I am thinking about what you said that, you know, that whether or not the people that would come to my office would be self-selecting over people who might choose to go to a, you know, a big litigator or And I'm not sure that the, I mean, to some extent, of course, I think that a lot of people when faced with divorce just don't know what to do and they feel very anxious. And they, as you pointed out that, you know, they're in a very uncomfortable situation. They've been in for a very long time. Either they are just found out that their spouse wants out and they feel reactive and, and scared, or they're just desperate to do something and they just go somewhere where they can just tell a lawyer what the problem is and get help. And then they just get a referral from someone. They don't necessarily know this is this kind of person or that kind of person. And I get that kind of thing all the time. Oh, you know, my husband, my wife went to see, you know, Joe Litigator in White Plains or New York City. And, you know, they say they want to work it out. And I'm like, really? And I think they really do. But once they get into that, into the office, then, you know, you do the process that the person knows how to do, the professional knows how to do. And I think that even when you're very angry, people know what you just said, that you're going to be grandparents together in some way. They want to be able to get back to that place. They just don't know how. And so I think that if they're given half a chance, not true for every single person, but for most people, given half a chance, they will find a way back to that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. But that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad you have this show. Because I think most people aren't really aware of collaborative divorces or what mediators really do. And they just get a referral for a lawyer from a friend. Exactly. And if that friend hasn't been through this process, and 
You know, this is making people aware there are alternatives. And the courthouse doesn't have signs. You know, there are other processes you can go through. Have you tried collaborative first or mediation first? Yeah. Which I wish they would. I think the judges wish they would, too. Yeah, I'm sure they do. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dr. Griffin, I'd like to give you an opportunity to let our listeners get in touch with you if they have any questions about addiction or divorce and addiction and reach you in that way. What's the best way? The best way is to reach me through the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence that I've just moved to President Emeritus of. Uh, and that office is in White Plains, 949-8500. We have a 24-hour hotline referral system. We'll take your calls and hopefully answer your questions. It can be anonymous. So if you have somebody that is in trouble, needs help, there is hope, you can always get us there, and we'll be happy to walk you through the steps necessary to get out of your addiction or the family member that is suffering from an addiction. Dr. Griffin, tell us some of the things that you might put into place to help a family member cope with this and maintain his or her connection to the children. One of the first things we do is try to refer them to a health professional to deal with their issues in a a more systematic way. That may mean, based on the acuity of their disease, that they need inpatient treatment or maybe an intensive outpatient treatment at one of the programs around the area, or it could be less intensive if they are not that far along in their addiction. I use the analogy of pregnancy, that there are stages to addiction, just like there are three trimesters, there are three stages. So somebody in early addictive states may not look that addictive, but the early warning signs are there. And then somebody that is far along, there's someone that's probably going to need the inpatient. So based on the stage of their disease is really what type of treatment they would need. So that gets evaluated first. They get placed into the appropriate treatment area. And then once they're getting healthy and hopefully participating in self-help like AA, and they're feeling stronger and they're sober, then that becomes a non-issue and they can move forward and be the kind of parent they want to be. Do you sometimes work with the children as well and integrating the the sobered parent back into their lives? Um, Depending on the age of the children. Uh, They're younger. I'll usually leave that to the program they're referred to so that they can be in the family therapy component of that program. But that certainly would be part of what they need to go through. Dr. Ray Griffin, thank you so much for being our guest today on Dialogue on Divorce. It's been really educational, and I really personally learned a lot. Thanks you so much. Not at all. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here, and thanks for doing the show.